reading will be from Obadiah 4. Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring, I will bring you down, says the Lord. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, if you're still looking for it, blink and you'll miss it. In fact, if you are using the Pew Bible, you have really, really good eyesight, but it is less than a page and a half. Blink and you'll miss it. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It is the shortest among the minor prophets, making Bildad the shoe height look six foot three. It is one, sorry, that was terrible. It is a very short book, only 21 verses. But what a powerful message Obadiah has for us. It begins the vision of Obadiah, Edom will be humbled. We know what it's about just by reading those first few words. And if you're like me and you're really struggling with some of your geography, again, just moving here, we're still trying to figure out where things are. I went too far when we were heading uh, to pick up our lunch and go home today. I'd been there three times, but apparently I need to be there six or eight more. When we look at where Edom is, uh, south Look at your map uh, that's on the screen. You have uh, southeast, that wet red quadrant is the nation of Edom. And when we look at Edom uh, in these 21 verses, a mere 21 verses giving this judgment on them, it really is important to understand Edom's history. Let's jump right into it. Edom starts before the two people are even born. If you turn all the way back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis 25, you have this event that takes place between Jacob and Esau. But there is a prophecy that is made in Genesis 25. In verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Notice verse 22, the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. Jacob and Esau, when you have these two uh, uh, children who were born, and you have the events that take place in their lives. Again, quick snapshots concerning Jacob and Esau. Esau would eventually become, his children would become the Edomites. The elder will serve the younger. You have Esau who would sell his birthright, uh, which carried an enormous spiritual and physical blessing um, for a bowl of soup. He sold his birthright for one meal. In Genesis 32, that, that's here in Genesis uh, uh, 25. In Genesis 32 and 33, years after this event, the two brothers meet up again and things are not near as bad as they could have been. But as time goes on and you go to Deuteronomy 2, verse 22, you see the descendants of Esau Will, uh, Esau will eventually drive out the people of the land of Edom, the Horites. 
and settle in their place. And this is by God's blessing and promise and design. But when you start to hear about the Edomites again, about Esau's children again, it's really not good from that time on. You have a place like Numbers 20, 14 to 22, where Moses will appeal to the Edomites as the Israelites are headed to the promised land, and the Edomites will not let them pass through. In fact, they want to attack them. During the reign of the kings, you have Saul and David and Solomon and various other kings all fighting the Edomites. Saul would fight against them. David would subdue them and put them into subjection. And in Solomon's day and forward, they were enemies to Israel and they did serve them uh, to a degree for a time. They would eventually revolt. You have various prophets mentioning Edom. It's never a good thing. It's always death and destruction because of the sins that they have committed, because of the evil and the wickedness that they are. And it's kind of one of those like father, like son kind of uh, events where you have Esau who was very, very worldly, not a spiritual care in his life. Selling something that was so sacred for a cup of soup, a bowl of soup. And his children didn't seem any more focused on God than he was. If you look at the events, uh, just a quick timeline of the events, uh, various events in uh, the history of the Edomites. There's a whole lot more that we could talk about, but here's just some quick highlights to give you some numbers and kind of hone in on, uh, on the Edomites. You will not understand the book unless you understand uh, the history. You will not understand the prophecy uh, to Edom unless you understand what the history is. And so if you think about that history, you think about that hatred and that bloodshed that was constant between people who were related by blood, there's a problem. And it's really interesting when you start looking at the book, and that's what we'll do for just a moment. Think about the author. Uh, Edom will be humbled, says Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah. There's about 13 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. We can probably say it's not a certain amount of them, but we don't know which one it is. In fact, we can simply say this is God's prophet, and it is through His Holy Spirit that this book is inspired, like all others. The message is very simple. Edom will fall on the day of the Lord. Edom will fall on the day of the Lord. More about that in a moment. And the date, there's usually two that are given, a very early date uh, in 844 when they revolted against Judah, and a date 586 uh, during Nebuchadnezzar's uh, um, destruction of Jerusalem. And it seems about evenly split when you look at the guys that study history, and they seem to have pretty decent reasons for both. But guess what? The message doesn't change. Whether it's 844, the message is... Edom will fall when God judges them. 
If it's 586, the message is Edom will fall when God judges them. When we look at the book, it's divided into two segments. Edom punished in verses 1 to 14. Verses 15 through 21, Zion prevails. Very simple to outline. It's really simple when it's a short book like this. Edom punished Zion prevails, 1 to 14 and 15 to 21. In fact, your Bible may even have a little bit of space separation uh, at, uh, between verse 14 and verse 15. Uh, it's very simple to break down this text into these two basic components. So we've looked at the history. We've talked about uh, just the way the book is set up. One other feature of the book that's really interesting uh, that various uh, uh, guys that understand Hebrew and, and, and Jewish history will, will talk about in this section, uh, depending on your translation, it's going to say the message as if the punishment has already happened. But it's looking toward a future event. And the reason it's doing that is because when God says something's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. Uh, I think the fancy term is prophetic perfect. It's as if speaking as though an event has already happened, even though it's going to happen in the future. And the reason is God's word is sure. So let's look through the book. Let's look through the book for just a few moments. Uh, it's hard to do a long lesson on a book that's only 21 verses. That's okay. That's the point of the message. Looking at verses 1 to 14, notice how Edom is punished. And again, it's only 21 verses. I hope you'll uh, join along with me. I think I've given you enough time to find it in your Bibles. The vision of Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, Edom will be humbled. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise, up, uh, rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. I want you to think just for a moment the picture that's, that's being spoken of here. It's all about how high and lifted up they are in their own mind. Now, Edom had some pretty high mountains, uh, above 5,000 feet, some of them. And it was an incredibly difficult territory to try and uh, conquer, especially the capital city where you basically just had a couple of soldiers that needed to defend it because the path was so narrow, uh, you would have to line up one by one behind each other just to get there. It's easily defensible. And if you're not used to mountain climbing, it becomes even more simple for the Edomites to defend themselves. They were high and lifted up. They have this pride about them. That's why it begins, Edom will be humbled. Notice the emphasis on the pride of their heart, on this idea that you think that just living in the clefts of the rock, that's a phrase we sing in a song, but maybe it's not something we think about very often. 
Imagine again a mountain, and as you're going up, the mountain has this little bit of an overhang, and underneath it doesn't go back very far, but it's a cleft in that mountain where they can set up defenses, where they can uh, provision themselves, where they can set up themselves to defend. That's where they're hiding. That's where their security is. It's really hard. There's no way in from the back. There's only one way in, and they'll see you coming. You think just because you have this kind of uh, security defense in your lofty dwelling, you talk about how high and lifted up you are, soaring like the eagle, your nest is among the stars. From there, God says, I will bring you down. I will bring you down. Notice from pride to humility. Really from pride to humiliation. Being once numbered among the stars, you're so tall and you're so powerful and you're strong. From pride to humiliation. Continue on. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how would you be destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set up a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Think about it for just a moment. You have this pride to humiliation in verses 2 through 4. And now you have 5, 6, and 7. Verse 5 and 6, from wealth to poverty. You know, if a thief goes into your home, he's going to take the most valuable things and get out of there as fast as possible. Those who go and they gather out of a tree, they're not going to take every single fruit and everything so that the tree is bare, but that's set in contrast to Edom and the judgment that's coming, where there is not going to be anything left. There's no wealth. There's nothing left. God is going to bring them so low. And then he says who? From friends to enemies. You know, Edom... Being high up in the mountains, there are a whole lot of ores. There are a whole lot of, of um, metals that they can get and a lot of, of um, elements that they can get that they can make a whole lot of folks around them rich. And they did. The countries that they sided with and the countries that they made packs with, they made them incredibly rich. And the people who were their friends understood where their wealth came from. And what the text is saying is that those people, instead of getting their wealth from the Edomites, they'll just get it from Edom. Why, why, take the, uh, why, why have, uh, have to go through all these charges and everything for this stuff that we want when we could just take it? You have all of these friends who simply want what Edom has and they take it. In verse 8, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. Notice at the end of verse 7, you have no understanding. And then he says, I will destroy the wise men out of Edom from wisdom to bewilderment. 
And verse 9, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter from defenses and people to destruction and emptiness. And then finally, we get to the reasons in verses 10 through 14. Notice number one, violence against family. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day the strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. There's violence against family. They hated their brother. Jacob, Israel at this time, Judah. And it's really interesting when you start looking at the reasons people give for the early date and the later date, it's usually based on this passage. Because as you look at this passage and you start thinking of the times where Adam would revolt and Adam would mock the enemies or mock Israel and attack them, you have it going on at about 844 B.C., And yet others will look at this and they'll see the destruction of Jerusalem. And a couple of passages that will be pointed out, one of those, Psalm 137. Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon. There we sat down and wept. We know exactly when it is now. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there were hung up the lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. Imagine being dragged from your home to a foreign enemy in a foreign place uh, with a foreign language, a foreign land that you don't know, and a people you don't know. And they say, sing to us all the songs that you grew up singing. Tell us about your homeland. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against, now it's not Babylon, the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. Do you know what was happening during the time Nebuchadnezzar was surrounding the cities and and, uh, the city of, of Jerusalem and making sure that nothing would get in? The Edomites were cheering them on. Lay it bare. Lay it bare. Ezekiel would in fact say concerning them, Ezekiel 25, 12 and, uh, through 14, thus says the Lord God, Behold, or because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate. From Teman even to the Dedan, they shall fall by the sword." 
And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord. You see it again in Ezekiel 35, 1 to 15. When was Ezekiel written? A bit later. But what you have in Obadiah saying what you did to your brothers, your family, that nation next to you, pillaging them, attacking them, harassing them, hating them, won't stand for it. Won't stand for it. In verse 12, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah, the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Remember the psalm? Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Violence against family. Rejoicing in Israel's pain and joining in with the enemy in their destruction. Verses 15 through 21, though, is a great turnaround. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. Do you see how it begins with Edom? But Obadiah opens it up to all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. It's the cup of God's wrath that they're having to drink. Why? Think of Edom and the violence done to the children of Israel and the hatred they had for their brother and the humility that they lacked in their own lives, the absolute pride and arrogance of this nation, Edom. But, verse 17, in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. that shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. God will avenge, verse 15. God will deliver, verse 17 and 18. Notice verse 19 and 20, those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those of the Shephelah uh, shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of the host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as the Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Seraphad shall possess the cities of the Negev. All of this land that is yours will be taken by someone else. By God's people. God will avenge. God will deliver. God will defeat. 
And then verse 21, Savior shall go up to the mountain to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. That is an incredibly important statement, especially when it comes to the minor prophets. We don't have the time to delve into it, but if you turn back in your Bibles just one page to the book of Amos, in verse 11 of Amos 9, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. It's talking about Edom. It's talking about a remnant. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 15, Amos 9, 11 is quoted and says that this is fulfilled in Christ. You have this promise to Obadiah that they are going to fall. Because of their pride, their arrogance, their hatred toward their brothers, because they mocked the nation of God. God says that His city will prevail. And he promises it. As we close, just a few lessons for us to take away from Obadiah. Number one, God truly does rule in the kingdoms of men. You know, at a time where there's a lot going on in the world and we don't know what's going on from day to day or even hour to hour in some circumstances in some parts of the world, can't we take great comfort in knowing that God still rules in the kingdoms of men? This is not a message specifically to the Israelites, although it is once you start getting to the promise of the day of the Lord and the establishment of Zion. But he says, all nations, all nations, God rules in the kingdoms of men. Number two, Sinful, prideful nations will be destroyed in time. We don't know when. When you look at Edom's history, about 100 BC, 100 AD, there's nothing. Just gone. Enemy after enemy came to them and attacked them. And Edom is no more. And number three, related to this, the day of the Lord is either a terror or a comfort. The day of the Lord is either a terror or a comfort. It is a frightening thing for the enemies of God. But oh, what a comfort for the children of God. You know, that psalm that we read Psalm 137, it ends in a very painful way. 
and ends in a very violent way. But what it is, is a suffering Israelite who is crying out to God for vengeance. But it's also a suffering Israelite crying out to God for vengeance, waiting on the Lord for that to take place. We don't know when nations fall. But we do know that God takes care of things in his time. And it may well be that there are some pretty evil nations up until the point where Jesus returns. But on that great day of the Lord, on that great day, all, all will be made right. Obadiah is a very short book. But oh, what a powerful message it holds. There may be somebody tonight who you start thinking about the day of the Lord and it's that frightening thing. You know, it really is a a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But the reality is that the day of the Lord ought to be something that we plead for, O oh Lord, come quickly. It ought to be something that we look forward to in Jesus' return. And it can certainly be something that brings us peace and comfort that God is in control. So tonight the question is, where do you stand? Don't be like Edom. Let's stand and sing.